Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to note that Amanda's episode is actually going to be a two-part series. When we sat down to record, we ended up talking about so much more than just her birth stories, and it was just such a good conversation that I didn't want to cut anything out. So this episode will cover Amanda's cesarean and her first H-back, and then next week's episode will cover her other two H-backs. So without further ado, here is this week's episode. Today we're chatting with Amanda and Amanda's going to share her birth stories with us. So do you just want to start us off with an introduction? Um, Yes. Hi, I'm Amanda and I am a wife and a mother of four beautiful children, ages seven and well, seven, four and a half, three and one. I am 45 years old. No, I am 45 years young and (laughs) I'm going to change that because I'm not old. And so I have a passion to speak into women and their pregnancy and childbirth experiences um, and their journeys to guide them on their journeys. That is, was brought about by my birth experiences and a lot of that came after my experience with my first and you said that you're pretty active on social media is that correct i am working on that i'm not as active as i want to be but um getting there uh definitely a work in progress having Mm -hmm. four kids you know it, it limits my time and space but i am Yes, I am a vocal voice on, on in many groups and I have my own group where I am supporting women through their journeys and just providing a ton of valuable information, um, like what to expect, what to really expect when expecting and like how to navigate through the journey where you're taking a leadership role in your care and in your experience because our medical system is actually geared to take away our options and our choices in a way that we don't even realize it's happening. So we go to an appointment and they say, okay, well, we're going to do this, 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 and this. They don't say, okay, so what we would nor what, what needs to be done or what should be done at this time is this. And the reason we do this is this would you like to go forward with that? Or would you like to, you know, what would you like to do? There's not, there's no conversation happening. Mm -hmm. And I, I noticed it in my first pregnancy, but it wasn't until after my first birth that I really made, like I connected the dots. Right. Um, So with my first pregnancy, I did all the things. So prior to getting pregnant, I was, I struggled. So there was like a 13 year gap of me not being on birth control and me getting pregnant 13 years. So I struggled to get pregnant at the get go. So I was 37 
when my daughter was born, I was, I had just turned 37 when I got pregnant the first time. And I had gone through fertility help. I had to have, well, when I got pregnant, it was my fourth IUI interuterine insemination. And it was really my last opportunity because of, well, because of my age, my marriage was not what it should have been. So had I not gotten pregnant, we would not be together today. I know that for a fact. Um, And I'm not saying we stayed together for the baby. I'm just saying that it gave us something to work for. And so our marriage is an amazing connection today that it wasn't back then. Um, But yeah, so I was at my last straw. So when I had my fourth IUI, it was right around my, um, my birthday, my 37th birthday. And I was late, (laughs) right? Like Tuesday came and went, that was my day that I was supposed to get my period and I didn't get it. And then Wednesday and Thursday, but I was so scared. I was so scared to test (laughs) because it was the end of the line. We couldn't afford IVF. So that wasn't an option. So if this didn't happen and I got another negative, I didn't know what, what, what the future looked like if I had another negative. So I was terrified of having another negative. And so I really pushed to not test. And then Friday came and um, my doctor was like, look, just test already. So I was on the treadmill and I had to stop for the second time to go to the bathroom. I thought, okay, fine. I'm going to go test. So I went and tested and that was the longest five minutes of my life. <laughs> and it was the, like the weirdest, like the anxiety. I, I was on the verge of throwing up just the nerves of like waiting. But it was like, also like I was trying to look in the bathroom, trying to look at that test, but trying not to at the same time. So it was like, I was, Mm -hmm. my whole body was in conflict with itself. (laughs) Like my mind, every part of me was in conflict with itself. But when I finally looked, it was positive. And I fell to my knees on the floor and I praised God in Spanish for some weird reason. Spanish is my second language. So it was kind of interesting, but that sticks out in my memory. Like, (laughs) how I cried out in like, praise God, but in Spanish, right? I was like, <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> um, and then I texted my husband who was out in the back parking lot, like working on his car. I was like, you need to come in here. So he comes in and I can't even talk. I'm so emotional. I'm so like over the moon, excited and terrified at the same time. And I just point to the bathroom, like go like go look and so he goes and he looks and he's like what is it positive and I was like yeah it is and uh he was like he was happy you know we hugged each other and cried a little bit and and then the next words out of my mouth I had had a a miscarriage back in my 20s so like at 20 exactly I instantly put a damper on it like, here we are, we're ecstatic, we're crying, we're happy. And then I was like, but this doesn't mean it'll stick. 
And I regret that now, but <laughs> right. Like looking back, I'm like, man, yeah, our programming runs deep. You know, that was 17 years prior, but it still stuck with me that just cause I got here doesn't mean it's going to stick, but it stuck. Thank the Lord. It stuck. And so I started doing, you know, all the, the OB appointments and all that stuff. And about, so here's the thing, because of my previous experience at the time that I got pregnant, I had been working out daily. I had been slimming down, toning up. Like I was really doing exercise, knowing what I know now I would have, I would continue doing that (laughs) during a pregnancy, but because of my state of mind and that, that programming that it's, it may not stick. I literally stopped everything I had been doing because I was terrified of doing anything that could harm the baby. Right. Like, and because I didn't know anything, I just stopped. So what happens when you start, stop working out, you start to gain all that stuff back. Right. I gained probably 20 to 25 pounds within the first trimester. Another factor in that is that I had, I had cut bread out of my diet. And then after I got pregnant, like that was the one thing I craved was bread. Um, So I had a, I had a hard time with that, but I gained a lot of weight in that first trimester um, because of letting things slide. And that had nothing to do with the baby. That was all me. But by four months, four and a half months, my doctor was already putting C-section on the table based solely on my weight. There was no other reasons. I did not have gestational diabetes. I had like, I had no issues throughout my pregnancy. I never got morning sickness. I, and and I know there's women who are rolling their eyes at me right now. It's okay. I know. But to tell you the truth, I think I'd rather have some of those side effects of pregnancy because when you know you're pregnant and you don't have them, you don't feel pregnant. And so until you start feeling that baby move, there's almost this constant worry because you don't have the symptoms. You don't, <laughs> There's nothing like telling your mind that, yeah, baby's fine. You're, you're okay. You're, you know, your body's doing what it should be. Like you don't have that when you don't have symptoms. And I walked through all four of my pregnancies like that. Like until the baby moved, I had no real, like other than like the fatigue, like, yeah, I had like, I would get tired. I would get wind, like later on in my pregnancies, I would get winded and sense of smell. Oh yes. Totally heightened. But those are all things like you don't really think about. So, you know, those, those like morning sickness or cramping or these other things, like I had none of it. So So here is at four and a half months pregnant and I had gained all this weight back. Like it wasn't like I had lost it and kept it off for years. No, I had just lost this weight. So my doctor started pushing for a C-section at that point. And I went through the rest of my pregnancy without issue other than, so twice throughout my pregnancy and it was in the same week. And I want to say I was around... 26 weeks when this happened. I can't really remember when it was. I have to look at my hospital records. Actually, I like went to the bathroom at work 
And when I wiped, there was like bright red blood. And I was like, oh no, what's going on? Like, and I'm instantly crying, like bawling. And then like, that was it. Like I got a pad from a coworker and I put it on and there was never anything else. So it was like the weirdest thing. Well, I had messaged my doctor and she's like, it's probably just hemorrhoids. Like she was thinking it came from the other side. (laughs) So I was like, okay. And then it happened again, like that same week where I got up and it must've been a weekend because it was like 11 o'clock. I got up off the couch to go to the bathroom and we were going to bed. And again, when I wiped, I was bleeding again. And so I called the after hours and I'm like, call an ambulance and come to the hospital, but lay on your left side until they get there. And I looked at my husband, I was like, I'm not calling an ambulance. (laughs) I was like, you're just going to drive me over to the hospital. So I laid in the back seat of my truck while my husband drove me to the hospital and we get there. And like, of course they take you into like, it's called labor and delivery, but it's more of a triage. It's not full on like here, let's take you back and do this. But they were like, well, now it's old blood, right? So the bleeding, wherever it had come from had already stopped and they couldn't like on the ultrasound, they couldn't see where it had come from or why it had come. So we spent the next couple hours being monitored. Everything was fine. Baby was fine. Um, There was nothing wrong. It was scary, stressful, and had my, my, like, it had my anxiety. Like, what is going on? Like, I was talking to my baby, like, you're not ready. It's not time. You need more time in there, honey. You need to stay in there. So that was scary for me, but that was the only thing that happened throughout my entire pregnancy that for me was stressful or caused anxiety at all. Like other than that, my baby was fine. Everything was fine. And then 35, 36 weeks, she was still breech. My doctor says, you either do an aversion with me right now or at 37 weeks, whatever, or you schedule the C-section. And I don't, I didn't know anything about, uh, about versions at the time. So like I had kind of looked into it after that conversation and I wasn't comfortable with it. And I don't know it. I think a lot of it had to do with my doctor's bedside manners. Like, first of all, she had been like getting on me about my weight since four and a half months. By 36 months, by 36 weeks, sorry, uh, she was telling me that I needed to lose weight. It was from one appointment to the next, it was either you need to not gain weight this next two weeks or this next week, whatever gap in appointments was at the time, or you need to lose a pound and you need to walk two hours every day. Um, and she, at one point, probably about 38 weeks, she's like, look, your baby is going to, because I declined the, the version and I was totally willing to wait until I went into labor, right? Like there was something inside of me and I should have listened to it, but there was something inside of me that said my baby would turn when it was time. But 
because I had no experience and I had no real knowledge, I, I was in a position of having to make a choice, not knowing what I didn't know. And so I ended up, my mom at the time was in Iowa. We were in California. We were in um, the Los Angeles area. And she was like, so when should I schedule the, my flight? Like, when should I come? And I was like, mom, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to tell you when, <laughs> when anything's going to happen. But I ended up where my doctor looked at me and she says, look, your baby is going to be over eight pounds. And because you're small, you'll never be able to birth your baby naturally, even if she wasn't breech. And I don't need an ultrasound to tell me that. This was without, uh, I don't know, what do they call those? A growth scan um, where they like... They do that so that they can tell you you're going to have a big baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just one of the tricks up there. That's what they're good for. Sleep, yeah. Right. <laughs> like they're, we're going to do a, a girl scan to see how big your baby is. And then they start pushing. Right. And so anyways, that was her attitude. If that tells you anything about how my doctor was. And so it came down to, I have this doctor that I cannot stand. And a mom who is like, so when should I come? When should I be there? And I want this doctor out of my life. And basically the choice came down to, fine, I'm going to schedule this C-section because I want her out of my life. And I know how bad that sounds, but that is literally where I was. Like, I wanted this woman out of my life. My husband went to every single appointment with me and he can attest to you how bad much pressure I was and, and just negativity I was put under the entire pregnancy the entire pregnancy was like that and I was already 37 so there was that added you know you're you're old mentality of you know your body at 35 somehow just forgets to do what it's like it forgets what it was created to do at 35. Apparently you're suddenly it like geriatric. <laughs> yeah. At 35, <laughs> you're just old and yeah, your body has, has gone senile and. But I mean, is, you're right. It's kind a, of like how ridiculous. you said earlier too, with everything from the miscarriage that you had and the, the negativity and trauma from that, that stuck with you all that time when you yeah. have a provider who's just constantly talking all this negative stuff into you I mean that's yeah. gonna stick with you it's yeah. you you don't even have the chance to like have a positive outlook on how your labor and birth can go when that's all that you're hearing from your provider yeah yeah and she didn't ever speak any life into me at all through the entire pregnancy it was just checking boxes like I was a number to her and that was exactly what I felt like you know, I was just another one of her, her, her patients. And I had even asked, like, I wanted to switch providers. And so she was part of like a group. So there was like several OBs in her office. And I was going to see my OB that had referred me to her, to her for the fertility specialist. And 
basically she told me, she's like, well, they'll consult with me first and they're going to take my opinion. Um, so again, I gave in because what else was I going to do? I wanted her out of my life. Had I known now, like, had I known what I know now that I could have fired her, that I could have waited until I went into labor and just showed up, like just called her and said, Hey, I'm in labor. I'll see you at the hospital and just taking my chances with whatever happened. Um, I would totally. And I know that my husband would have supported me 100% in that, but I didn't know. So we went in for our scheduled. And when you schedule a C-section, it is so different because they're like, okay, so you go in like the day before and they do some blood work. And like for me, because baby was breached, they did another ultrasound to make sure baby, but like to ensure that baby was still breached. But then so there's parts of going in for a C-section that they don't allow your spouse to be with you, which is really ridiculous because I feel like, first of all, they've been a part of it since the very beginning. Second of all, when you're in a hospital situation, I think you should always be able to have your support with you. Um, I am, I do not like needles at all. And so going into the hospital and having to have like my IV placed and all that and not be able to have my husband there with me during that time was horrible. But eventually they let him in. And then when they take you back for surgery, it's kind of weird, too, because they separate you again where you go in, they get you all set up and then they bring him in. After everybody's in place, I guess. So C-section is really I have to say it was like the weirdest experience because here I am thinking, okay, I'm not going to feel anything, right? They're doing this, they, like they've put in the, the saddle block or whatever you want to call it. And so I thought, okay, I'm not going to feel anything, like anything at all. And then they're rolling iodine across my belly and I'm like, that's cold. And I can feel that. And then I can feel them pushing on my belly, like feeling around and pushing around. And I was like, um, I can feel that. <laughs> like, I'm like terrified because I know like the knife is coming. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can feel all of this, but I felt no cut. Right. It was like the weirdest thing. Like, I'm like, how can I feel you literally pushing on my stomach? I can feel the pressure. I can feel your hand. Like just the sense of touch. I can feel that, but I could feel the pressure. I could feel my body moving under them, right? It was like the weirdest thing, but I never felt any pain. I could just feel everything. And I was like, that is so weird. Mm -hmm. But I was crying the whole entire time. Um, surgery scares me in any shape or form, right? It just scares me. And there's so many needles involved that that scares me. So it was a struggle for me. Like I was shaking uncontrollably. Um, they strap you down in like, basically they crucify you mm -hmm. <laughs> on a board and it's like a hard plastic surface. It's nothing comfortable. So they strap your arms down. You're completely naked in front of, I don't know, five to 10 people. I have no idea who was in there. 
my doctor, I don't even know that she ever came and talked to me before we went into surgery, which now stands out as like, yep, just a number. Just another day at work. Yep. Just another operation I'm doing. I One thing that I was adamant about is that my husband was not to leave the baby. So once baby was born, I wanted him to go with her. So they pull her out, you know, they do all the things. So it's automatic cord clamp cut, you know, all the things, right? Like it's a wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. It's done. And they're stitching you up your baby. Well, in my case, my baby was like, oh, 12 feet away under a light to the uh, back left of me. Right. So I could like turn my head back and see her and see my husband and see them like working her her legs were like flopped up by her head like her feet were flopping around up by her head uh, <laughs> so she stayed like that for a while um but she like they were scrubbing her down and everything she was screaming and crying everything was fine she weighed six pounds 15 ounces and i was a hot mad pissed off mama and then my doctor, like she stitches me up. She's done all the things. Right. And she, she literally like rolls up on her seat next to my head. And she's like, I didn't hear how big she was. How big was she? And I was like, oh, she was six pounds, 15 ounces. And she's like, oh, that's still a pretty big baby. <laughs> what? I was like, lady, you are so lucky that I'm still strapped down to this table. In my head, I was like, get the away from me. I'm going to punch you. Right. Because here was a woman who had told me that I was going to have an over eight pound baby who was just rude to me my entire pregnancy and then talked so negatively over me in the end, like taking my power away to even think that I could possibly have a natural birth and then to just be like so nonchalant about it that my baby wasn't even seven pounds. And, and, and now that I know that an eight pound baby is not a big baby, you know, I think the biggest shock for me was once I realized all of these things that I now know was that why is a woman, a doctor who she's a fertility specialist and yet she takes into no consideration for her patients who worked so hard to get to this. And then she strips it all away from them. Like bit by bit breaks them down to conform to what works best for her schedule. And, and I hate to say this, but our medical system has been broken for a long time and doctors are used to being able to have that. Well, I'll be on vacation that week. So let's induce now or, you know, well, I'm on call this day. So let's get you in and get you going so that you're, you know, so that I'm the one who delivers your baby. And it's, it's so sad that we're interrupting a cycle that is so natural. I just recently said this, like, there is no part of your pregnancy that you can control. You cannot control the actual conception. You can't ask your baby to be boy or girl. You can't ask them to be 
blue eye, blue hair, blonde or blue eyes, blonde hair. You have no control over any of that. And yet doctors want the pregnancy and labor and delivery to be such a controlled process. Um, and it's, it's not, there's no, con- like we have no control over it. I don't want to say there's no good doctors out there, but the doctor that wants to be called at two o'clock in the morning, cause you went into labor is hard to find now, you know, the doctor who's willing to be on God's time and your baby's time is a hard, hard person to find now. So going into recovery, my first thing that I noticed was first, they let me have my baby on my chest, still in the operating room on the operating table. And like, I was able to hold her, we we like got her latched on right away. And, um, and then you know, they moved us out to like the recovery area, which is just like curtained off sections. And in order to get out of recovery and be moved to my permanent room, I had to be able to lift my butt off the bed. What they don't tell you is that you literally have no strength after being cut open, which if you think about it, makes perfect sense. They don't really explain any of this to you before you go in. So they cut through seven layers before they get to your uterus. Seven layers. It took me a few hours. I want to say I was probably in recovery for three to four hours before I was able to feel my legs enough to lift my butt up off the off the bed. And then we got moved to our our permanent room. And right away... I was like, holy cow, I cannot even adjust myself in my bed. Like I couldn't hold on to the rails and lift myself to scoot myself back because it hurt so bad. And that made it hard. Like I couldn't get up to change my baby's diapers. I couldn't, you know, get up to grab her when she started crying, if she was in her um, little bedside bassinet thing. And I had to have somebody help me with everything. And I remember the first time I got up to go take a shower, I had to have, my husband had to be in the bathroom with me the whole entire time because I didn't think I could stand. I didn't think I could like actually do what I needed to do. So he was in the shower with me. He was washing me because I was like, I can't even move. And then, you know, you just kind of go through that and you're like, okay, well, this is how it is because I had a C-section, but you think like, man, is this how it's supposed to be? And, you know, why, why is it that this isn't part of the discussion before a C-section? Like, Hey, Mm -hmm. you know, we're cutting through your abdominals. You're not going to have any like core strength after this for like a while. And, um, every move you make, every sneeze, every cough, every bowel movement, is going to hurt. They don't tell you that. None well, of that. Not, it's not presented as a major abdominal surgery. No, it's no, presented it, as, oh, we're just going to go have a quick C-section and then you'll have your baby. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, we're going to go have a baby in 20 minutes. It's in and out done. And yeah, you'll be great. Except now I can't move. Now I can't walk. Now I can't get to the bathroom by myself. 
And so everything was really hard for me in the beginning. Um, and it was just a matter of like, you had to make sure that you take care of your core. <laughs> like after that, like you have to protect your core in every movement in everything. And I sat and sat and sat for, you know, the first weeks of her life. I didn't move. In fact, it's funny because we look back through through pictures and I'm like, did I ever have a shirt on even? Like, I swear every picture I'm just sitting in a bra, right? Like why? Cause I'm breastfeeding mom. <laughs> like, What do you need to get dressed for? You got your baby next to you. But yeah, it was really difficult to like, like go back to life, right? Like, okay, I'm going to get up and make dinner. I'm going to get up and do this. And I know like after you have a baby, you should rest. And I highly encourage you to rest. And I, I will give you an example of that in a bit, but you should rest and recover. But a C-section requires so much more effort in that aspect. Cause even getting up out of the chair, like we tend to sit up with or stand up out of a sitting position and we take it for granted, right? We don't even think about what muscles are involved in that or the different pulls and, and twists of your body when you do it. After you have a C-section, you feel every single one of those moves. So every action you have is, it's, it's an exercise in like, okay, how do I do this without pulling here <laughs> or twisting this, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to like readjust your entire life, your entire way of moving for that first. And I want to say even up to the six to eight week mark, right? It's, it's not a two weeks in, you're like, okay, I'm good. And so that was my recovery from her. And I just kind of went through that. And with breastfeeding on top of that recovery, uh, nobody warns you about that either. <laughs> like what that first couple of weeks of breastfeeding is going to be like, like, that's like a whole nother story. But there were times where I couldn't physically, I couldn't hold her in nurse at the same time because of both things, right? Because of the C-section and because of what they don't tell you about nursing, like your nipples get sore. Um, so there were times when I was standing in the middle of my living room and my husband was holding her to my chest and I was just standing there. I didn't have my hands on her. I wouldn't have made it through without my husband. <laughs> I'll tell you that my husband is a godsend. I would not have made it through without him. That support is so important. It is. The support afterwards is so important. And we were lucky. We had my mom there for like the first 10 days too of her being there. So, you know, my mom and my, between my mom and my husband, they cooked and they like took care of the house and did all this stuff because I was just not capable of functioning in a lot of ways. And then I think it was like a week later, a week after she was born was when the light switch went on for me, where there was that moment of realization where I'm holding this tiny little life and I'm responsible for every aspect of her life and protecting her. And I realized in that moment, I didn't know anything at all. And so I started learning and it was probably in that next week that the light switch went on about how our medical system is broken and how I walked out of that 
experience feeling broken. First, I couldn't get pregnant on my own. And then I couldn't have my baby the way that I had thought I would. And I had that C-section, which left me completely incapable of living my life the way that I would have wanted to. And I realized that I hadn't failed, but the system had failed me because of their need to work down a checklist and put every single pregnancy into a box and every woman and every situation into a box. Um, Because that's basically what they do. Every pregnancy, every woman is treated the same. So I was like, this is not going to happen to me again. And actually at the time it was, it's interesting because at the time my husband had said we were just having the one and we were done, but that didn't stop me from doing the research anyways, because once I realized that the medical system had failed me, I wanted to tell other women. I wanted to be able to support other women so that what happened to me didn't happen to somebody else. And so I started on a journey and I was very vocal about like anytime I, we had, I had conversations with other women about pregnancy and childbirth, all of this, I, you know, I, I was very vocal about how I would have done things different had I have known what I now know. Um, And so when my husband, you know, God bless whoever did this, but somebody mentioned to him that if he didn't have a boy, that his name from him would not be carried on. Uh, So he decided he wanted to try again for a boy. And so we tried again. And um, I actually, what is interesting about this is I, I got pregnant right away. So I went from not being able to get pregnant to getting pregnant right away when we decided to try. And I had a miscarriage. And in that process, again, the system showed me how broken it was um, in a couple different ways because I miscarried or I was in the process of miscarrying, I guess. And I, uh, the way the ultrasounds were is that one, there was no fetal pole, but there was a gestational sac. And then the next ultrasound, there was a fetal pole, but there was no heartbeat. And based on my timeline, there should be a heartbeat by this time. Right. So in my head, I was like, but there's been growth. So I was like, well, I'm just going to let this play out the way it's going to play out. And so I didn't do anything like the doctors will tell you to take a pill that'll like tell your body to, to, to shed it. Right. Or, or they tell you to come in for a DNC. I didn't do any of that. I just waited. But one thing that struck me during that experience was that I reached out to somebody that I know who now has 11 kids at the time, she probably had eight. And I said, Hey, this is what's happening. And she's like, Hey, get a progesterone, a progesterone supplement, like a cream and start putting it on, you know, whatever, right? Like she tried to support me. And she explained to me how like, progesterone is very important in your early pregnancy. And so I was like, Oh, okay. So I did that. But when I asked, so my doctor, I said, Hey, you know, you did my blood work. Did you run my progesterone? And she was like, why would I do that? That has no um, connection to this. And I was like, really? 
And then yeah, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, I was like, really? Um, that doesn't make any sense. So I pushed and finally had her like she finally agreed. And so when they did the second blood work draw a couple weeks later, they did run my progesterone and my progesterone was low. So then I at least had some knowledge as to how to support my body. Okay. My progesterone isn't balanced. It's not working right. Right. And so I started, um, using a supplement for that and, and my doctor, and that was like eye opening for me because when a person comes to you, like a patient comes to you and you know, like they're showing you that they've done some kind of research and they, they have this and they just like shrug their shoulders and roll their eyes at you. Like, why that doesn't have any play in this. And you're like, um, you can just Google that word and get all kinds of information about how it plays a part in your hormones and all of that. And so I was really shocked by that response from my OB. And this was a different OB. Obviously, I didn't go to the same one because I did not want to deal with her again. So that experience I ended up I did miscarry um and I, it took weeks for it to like my body to let it go but it did it finally went through like it went through its cycle it went through what it had to go through and it did it and and it did it on its own I never had to go through anything and so then going forward of course my doctor's like wait six months before you try again and I was like um I'm 39 I'm not waiting. So we basically went right back to like, once I had a, like a regular cycle, we went right back to, we're not preventing. Um, and so in December, so I had my miscarriage in July and I was pregnant again. I got pregnant again in December and we found out in January and that time I had no issues. I had been supporting my progesterone now for that six months. Right. So things were back in balance and it was an interesting, you know, thing. So I actually, when I got pregnant again, I had still learned even more by this point because now I was like, okay, now I'm getting ready to walk through this again. And I definitely want it to be a different experience than the first time. So I went back to my OB's office, like the previous OB from my C-section but I didn't want to see her. Obviously I was like, do not like, I do not want that OB. I want another OB. And the first one I saw, she was really nice. She was a sweetheart. And she like seemed really supportive of me having a VBAC. But as I was leaving my second appointment, like I walked out of the uh, exam room, whatever. And I like happened to look down the hallway and there was my other doctor and it was like a light switch went on in my head. And I was like, Oh, if she sees me or if she realizes that I'm being seen here, or if like, God forbid, I can't get in to see my doctor and I have to see her. I don't want her anywhere near this pregnancy. And so at that point I was like, okay, I have to find another, um, medical group to join because I'm not doing this. So I immediately went to a birth center, right? I was like, I want to do a birth center. I'm going to do this the way I want to. So I went to a birth center and I actually 
like found one that my insurance covered. And so I switched medical groups before going there. And I went there for a tour and like to interview. And then I was told that because I had a C-section, they would not be able to allow me to be served there because they are not willing to take the risk. They wouldn't take anybody who had a previous C-section. So I was left again with like, okay, now I don't have a doctor. What am I going to do? So I started, I like, I asked around and at the time I only had one friend who her kids were like, her youngest was in high school. So it had been 16 years since she had a baby, but she was like, my doctor was really good. And he was really, uh, he had several, like he had women there who were having their, um, V-backs. And so I reached out to him and then I, like I did the over the phone interview and I asked all the questions and I'm like, yeah, as long as everything's healthy and, um, everything's good with baby and mom, he has no problem supporting you through a V-back and allowing you to do that. And I was like, okay, you know, and, and I'm like, I was very straightforward. Look, I'll be 40. <laughs> like, this is where I'm at. Like I gave them all the details and it seemed like they they were like, yeah, doctor does this all the time. This is not, nothing new to him. And as long as everything's healthy with you and baby, then he'll have no problem supporting you. So I switched medical groups again and made my first appointment. And at that first appointment, I knew he was not my doctor probably because, and, and I've been corrected on this many times since because people who work in um, OB offices, nurses who work with doctors who do VBACs and stuff like this, they're like, that's just the terminology we use. It's not taking away from you, but I do not like the learn the term TOLAC. Um, and for those of you who do not know, TOLAC is trial of labor after C-section. To me, what that conveys is they're willing to let you go into labor after C-section, but chances are they're looking for a reason to um, intervene and, uh, and then have you in an emergency C-section. So I was offended by that. <laughs> um, and, and I knew, but there was just something about him too. He was like almost not present in our appointment, right? Like he was writing notes, but I don't think he ever really looked at me. And then like uh, at other appointments, cause I continued to see this doctor because I was like, I'm done looking like I'm not switching medical groups again. I don't know where else to turn. I'll just keep this doctor. And I was like planting seeds with my husband to get a midwife. <laughs> like I knew what I wanted, but my husband was not on board with it because he's like, your insurance covers a birth at a hospital it won't cover a birth at home. Why would we pay out of pocket for a midwife? So that was his, his thing. But when I laid it all out for him in the end, I was like, we're going to be paying the same amount because if like, if you, once you add up all the things with a hospital birth and at this time, this was after 
Obamacare had gone into effect. So like where I had really great insurance with my daughter, with my son, two years later, it was different. Like our coverage was not good at all. So I, I kind of laid it out to him. Like, basically this is, you know, it's kind of a wash. So I continue to see my OB and his, his bedside manner. He kept saying to me, look, you're asking me for this V back, but you're asking me to do it blindfolded. It's like, he's because I was refusing like the, the, the glucola. I was rejecting, like I declined a lot of things. And he was like, you're asking me to do this like blindfolded. It's like asking a person to cross the highway without with a blindfold on and they can't see the traffic that's coming at them. You're not giving me a a view at the whole picture. And I was like, look, I told you, you can run my A1C. I was going to say, but also there's other ways to know. (laughs) Right. I was like, look, you can run my A1C or I will go and get blood work done. I'll go to IHOP and have my big pancake breakfast and then I'll come back and you can run my blood work again. Like I was like, look, I'm willing to work with you, but I am not drinking that drink. Take it or leave it. And so I said, I say this, he didn't like me because I knew my stuff and then he didn't, he didn't like it that he had a patient who was controlling the conversation, which is sad. I mean, for me, if I mean, and I'm not saying this because I'm not a doctor, but I'm saying that if I was a doctor and I had patients who knew what they were looking at, knew like their part and had the information they needed to make informed choice, I would be ecstatic. Like that makes my job easier, right? It means that I don't have to like explain all this stuff to them because I already know. It means that they're going to come to me if there's any issues because they're already highly aware of these things. And here's the deal. This was a straw that broke the camel's back with my husband and with myself where. So finally, he's like, he literally did the fine. I'll do the A1C. Go to the clinic on Saturday at this time, blah, 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 blah. I go there. I check in. They take me back. And what is sitting on the table? Don't tell me it's the drink. I was like, um, what's that? And the girl's like, well, you're here for your your um, gestational diabetes test. That's your drink. And I said, no, I'm here because I'm not doing that. Wow. I was like, you're supposed to be running my A1C. And she's like, but the order says, and I was like, oh, really? Okay, well, you're going to have to call my doctor. I sat there and waited. And of course, it's a Saturday. They're not going to get a hold of him. So she comes back and she's like, unfortunately, we can't get in touch with anybody from their doctor's office. So we can't do anything. And I was like, okay, I'll see you later. And I got up and left. (laughs) The next week, I get a call like, hey, you didn't get this done. I was like, "Um, yes, because I said I would not do the glucola. He was supposed to put in an order for the A1C. But that's not what was put in. And so they like, they made it right. But to me, and what that conveyed to my husband in that moment was, you see, he figured that if he put in this order and I showed up, 
that I would just go along with it, that I would just be like, fine, whatever, I'm here. Let's just get this done. He tried to hoodwink me, Mm -hmm. right? He tried to manipulate me into doing what he wanted me to do. And I don't know, maybe his person who fills out his paperwork wrote it down wrong, right? I don't know. But to me, that was what it conveyed to me. It was manipulation. And when I left, my, my husband was like, oh, you're done already? And I was like, um, no, this is what happened. And he's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah. I was like, this is why I want a midwife. This right here. I was like, because if he's willing to do that, what else isn't he willing to do? Well, and in birth, when, it, when you're vulnerable. Right. right. Mm-hmm. I was like, when, well, like, what else is, is he willing, is he willing to do to manipulate me along this journey? And then when I go into labor and, you know, we're in the final stages, what? And so at that point, my husband's like, okay, fine. We'll talk to a midwife. And so I was like 24 weeks, 22 weeks, 24 weeks. So I was like over halfway through my pregnancy when I finally got a a midwife and I had already like had contact with a midwife and she was totally okay with me being a VBAC and, you know, whatever. So we ended up contracting with her and I actually saw both throughout my pregnancy, but it was like, I went to the OB appointments as like a backup plan. You know, not, not that I ever even considered going to the hospital. It was just like, well, you know, if anything were to ever happen, then I'd have that. Right? Like I know where I'm going as far as hospitals and doctors. And so I kept seeing him, but I never mentioned a midwife, never brought it up. Everybody around me who knew, on the other hand, thought I was nuts. They're like, how are you going to have a home birth? Like, you're crazy. You're not going to have an epidural. You're not going to have anything for pain. This, that, and the other thing. Like, why would you want to do that to yourself? And I was like, women have been having babies for thousands of years. And doctors have only been around for a hundred. So what am I afraid of exactly? Sorry, my great grandmother had 18 kids and they, I'm pretty sure they were born at home. I think that's the piece that a lot of people forget too, is giving birth in the hospital is the newer thing to do. Giving birth at home is what has been done for all of eternity (laughs) leading up to the introduction of hospital births. And so I think people see home birth as like this this new fad and it's trendy and it's like no it's the complete opposite of that it's what women have been doing for all of eternity yep and if you look at history hospital births when they first were introduced were for the upper class it was a sign of your status in society Mm -hmm. oh you had to have a home birth oh i had mine at a hospital Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for you, right? Kind of attitude where it was looked down upon once that was a thing, but it was a, it was a sign of your status of your, I don't know, 
what yeah. I want to say there, but no, it, I know it's, exactly it's sad. It's sad. So it like once the hospital birth was introduced, home birth was looked at as a dirty thing, which makes absolutely no sense because your home is filled with your own microbiome and that's the healthiest place for you and your baby. But I'll jump on that soapbox somewhere else. <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation too, <laughs> right? Like I, I could go in a bazillion different directions here, but, but yeah, so I hired a midwife and I had a lot of naysayers and I shot them all down. One thing that for some reason, and I say this, like, I realize now that God gave me a supernatural belief in my body because never, ever, ever did I ever doubt that I could do it. Never, ever, ever did I consider that something would go wrong. (laughs) Like I just, it was like, I stormed the gates. Like there was nothing that could, no matter how many negative people I had speak into that, I never doubted that I could do it. So I went in like, you know, you walk through labor and it's funny because you hear people say this all the time. I had no idea what I was looking forward to. And that's, and and I can tell you this, I've done it three times. You never know. (laughs) You never know what you're walking into. So with my, my son, I started going to my midwife appointments with my midwife and I kept seeing the OB and then I went on maternity leave two weeks before my so at 38 weeks I went on maternity leave and then I missed my 39 week appointment because you know I messed up my (laughs) my routine and my mom brain completely forgot about an appointment on Tuesday afternoon so I missed my 39 week appointment and then like I was having contractions my sister came into town on Wednesday and on Thursday we went we went to breakfast and I was having contractions to the point where people at tables around us like could tell (laughs) like I got a lot of are you okay and I was like yeah I'm fine like gonna have a baby any day now but I'm fine. Just trying to eat my breakfast. Right? Like, I was like, I'm good. I'm good. And I went to the bathroom like 17,000 times while we were there and, you know, did all the things. But we went and we just kind of hung out and did all this stuff. But, you know, contractions were getting intense to where I had to like stop talking or well, not really stop talking, but I did have to like be like, okay, I feel you. You're there. And then on Friday, I was like, I don't feel good. I'm not going to go anywhere. So my sister came over and she was like working around my house and doing stuff. And I was just kind of chilling out, spending time with my daughter. And then we decided to go look for a farmer's market. And so we went to, well, we went looking for it. We never found it. And then we decided, okay, well, we're out. We're just going to go for an early dinner. And I called my husband and had him meet us at this place. And at this point, I'm having to stop walking. <laughs> I am like, okay, there's another one. I, I, I got to stop walking. That hurts, right? Like, not that it hurt, but it was like, uh, yeah, that's a, 
that's a contraction definitely a contraction and so I was like having to stop walking having to stop talking so I was like okay it's time to call the the midwife and let her know what's going on we had our dinner we went home and funny story if at the end of your pregnancy you're craving something that just pops into your head out of nowhere get it because then you're going to go into labor because that is exactly what happened. I had been wanting a cookie from the place we went to eat for like a week, but they hadn't had any. And that night we went in and the first thing I asked them, they didn't have any in the case. And I was like, you guys don't have any chocolate chip cookies still. And the guy's like, you know what? I think they just came out of the oven. Do you want me to go check? And I was like, yes, please. And he even brings... better, it was like a fresh <laughs> right? chocolate chip cookie too. <laughs> it was amazing. And he brings me one and hands it to me. And like a free one. Like here, just have this. And I was like, oh my gosh, you don't even know. Because I don't have cravings. But all of a sudden, like one night I was like, I want a Bordeaux chocolate chip cookie. And I couldn't get it out of my head. Like it was like a constant. <laughs> I, want a co- I want a cookie. I want a cookie. And so... I was like, so that was Friday night. And then, so my midwife came over and she was there from like eight, seven thirty, eight o'clock till 11, 1130 ish. And my contractions were about five to seven minutes apart. And they were intense enough that, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I can feel that. But I had back labor too. So that makes them more intense. And so she was like, okay, well, I had her check me. So she checked me and she's like, well, you're at this. And, you know, I'm figuring there's about this much time before you're in active labor. And I was like, okay. So they decided to leave. We already had the birth pool set up in the living room. So it was just a matter of running the hose and filling it when the time was right. And so they were like, just relax and get some sleep between contractions and, you know, just try to rest as much as you can. Well, I wasn't able to relax and get any sleep. The back, like the contractions in my back were horrible. And so it left me not being able to like, I was trying every single position I could think of. Um, I was on my ball. I was on my hands and knees. I took, I was in the shower for like an hour and a half. (laughs) I don't even know how we had hot water that long (laughs) because I stayed in there forever because it it was like the only thing that kind of relaxed me. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I should have had my husband run the bath that night so that I could just sit in there. But, you know, hindsight, right? So I just kind of muscled through that night and like in the wee hours of the morning, I finally like had to wake up my husband and, and I don't know where I got this from, but I literally like told my husband, I was like, you have to push back. Like, I need you to put counter pressure on my lower back because it, it it's bad. And so I had him pushing at the, my lower back um, and applying counter pressure during each contraction. So when a contraction started coming on, I was like, again, 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 again. <laughs> that was my entire, like the morning and night out again, 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 again. And finally, like I just said, okay, let's go lay down and you're going to lay behind me and you're going to continue to apply this counter pressure 
for me when I tell you to. So I was able to actually get some rest in that, but he was still applying counter pressure through contractions. And at some point, my three year, my two and a half, almost, well, my two year, nine month old uh, came and got in bed with me. And so she was like snuggled up in front of me and he was behind me putting counter pressure. And I have no idea how my baby sat, slept through that. Honestly, I'm like, how in the heck is she sleeping? <laughs> Can't she tell mommy's like having issues, but she slept through it and I was able to rest for a bit. And then about six o'clock in the morning, I got up to go to the bathroom and my water broke on the way to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, call the midwife. And so my husband called, like we make the phone calls. We call my, let my sister know. And we start to like fill up the bath and, and I started. So as soon as my water broke, I started evacuating. Like I was on the toilet for quite a while and I was like, oh, this is weird. Why do I have to poop? Right? Like, why am I like doing this? But it was like every contraction was just eliminating more and more. And then once like, I felt like I could get off the toilet, I got into the the birthing tub and I just hung out in there and my husband wouldn't come in with me. So he's like leaning over the edge, trying to apply pressure to my back. And I was like, you know, your back's just going to hurt after doing that. But eventually I convinced him to just get in there with me so that he wasn't having to bend over to apply the pressure. But because of having the back labor and I wish that my, you know, I feel like had my midwife had guided me into different positions that maybe we could have gotten baby to move because now I know that back labor is connected with um, baby not being in optimum, optimum position for birth. So now I'm like, oh, well, had, you know, and I had tried to move different ways through the night trying to get things to move, right? Because I didn't like it. It didn't feel good. But nothing was ever said. So I was like leaning over the edge of the pool. Like I couldn't like, you know, you see all those beautiful pictures of the woman that's leaning back into her husband and he's got his arms wrapped around her. And, you know, that wasn't my story. <laughs> I did not have that. I was hanging over the edge, trying like on one knee with one leg out to the side, just trying to get the, pull the baby out from my back and it wasn't working but he he applied pressure the entire time like every contraction and so my water broke about six o'clock in the morning and my son was born at 10 10 so in all actuality I had a very short window of active labor and I had that four hours and I only I pushed for 20 minutes, like 20, 25 minutes. And it was, had I, I don't know, my, my midwife told me to like push when I felt the urge to push. And I think like you start to feel the urge to push a little bit before FER or fetal ejection reflex happens. Um, so I actually started pushing and like, it was hard. Like, I'm like, I don't know how people push for, like, how do people push for hours? 
I don't get it. Cause I pushed for 20, 25 minutes and I was yelling and that's something I wouldn't do again, but that was one part I hadn't really done a lot of research, but I was yelling like roaring. And what's funny is I lived in an apartment complex and again, this is my first home birth. This is not something I have any knowledge about, but I invited my neighbors um, so that they could witness what true birth was supposed to be like. <laughs> Did they come? Took, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> I just, I say that because it's hilarious to me because again, God gave me a supernatural belief because I literally was telling people like, Hey, you can come over. I don't care. Like I'm totally open. But, and I think that because my desire was to spread the word so wildly, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was my, my goal was like, I wanted to influence these young people's lives who had no experience in childbirth. And who knows, I planted seeds. If they're nothing else, I planted the seeds of that home birth is a thing, but I, we had the apartment door open. The windows were open. So people like the manager came and he's like, um, you might want to shut your door. My sister looks at me and I'm like, go ahead and shut the door. I'm like the windows are open. <laughs> right? Like I was like, they're still going to hear me. I don't care. But we, so we're in the process. And so transition when you have back labor is a lot more, I don't want to say painful because I don't like it when pe people associate pain to birth because I don't feel like it's supposed to be a painful experience. And I don't want to speak that into anybody's life. So I'm going to say it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable and definitely felt like it wasn't exactly right. So I did it right. Like I went through it. I got through it. Once the head was born, it was funny because my daughter was there the entire time and she was my focal point. Without her, I would not have been able to make it through because when she was in front of me, I was able to breathe. I was able to focus on the surge that was happening. I was able to just like let my body ride it out where like when his head was crowning, and the midwife said, I can see his head. My daughter, literally, like, I have a picture of her, like, with my head. And she's like this. <laughs> right? Like, she she did the whole, like, she was trying to look around my head. Like, as soon as she heard that the, the midwife could see the head, she was like, what? I see. And so she ran around the pool. And during that time that she ran around, I had another contraction and I almost didn't make it through that contraction. Like I, that was where I wanted to tap out because I, my focal point had ran away <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm struggling here. And then she came back and she was like stroking my face and she was just speaking to me in her little girl voice. And, um, she was such a, such an angel to have, to be honest, such an angel to have. And so we did like, I had his head, like his head was born. And then the next contraction, his body came out. And then immediately there was no more discomfort immediately. Like once the baby was out, I, all discomfort left me, all of it. Like even down there, I didn't hurt. I, there was nothing. 
Um, and my husband helped like, obviously I have my back to like, so he, he came out to the back of me. Right. Um, so my husband caught him and then picked him up right after he was born. I stood up, you know, uh, not stood up completely, but I stood up enough to be able to lift my leg up over him and the cord so I could turn around and sit down literally 30 seconds after he was out, like without even thinking about it, I just up and flipped over and I was like, and I sat down and the look on my husband's face was priceless. Like that look is etched in my brain forever and ever. Amen. Because the look of astonishment, elation, like amazement was just all over him. He's looking at his son. He's looking at me. And as soon as I sat down and he handed me my the baby, I was like, oh my gosh, I did it. And I was like, wait, did you just see how I just moved? I, like, I just like stood up and lifted my leg over and like, you wouldn't have been able to do that. I mean, you, right. Like, I was like, yeah. like, whoa, like, like, this is so different from my C-section. Like I couldn't move for hours. And then even after that, like it hurt like heck to just do my, like to, to like lift my butt and move back a couple of inches on the bed. Right. Let alone to stand up and flip my leg over and turn around and sit down like that. Like that wasn't going to happen. So I was like in shock, like that's how it was. And then, you know, I sat there for a little while holding him to my chest and just like being in amazement of everything that just happened. I was like, I did it. Oh my gosh, I'm superwoman. Right. And then they helped me out of the pool. And then I'm like reclining on the couch, waiting for my placenta to, to come I was being fed. I was given juice right away. Um, once the placenta came, I like I had already been nursing him. We did the, like the um, shoot. What am I trying to say? The cord. We let the cord stop pulsing before we clamped and cut it. Like it was so different. Like he was able to just kind of be and be close to me and hear me. And, and in the same, in the same time, like my husband and my sister are like draining the tub and taking that stuff, like uh, heck within less than an hour of him being born, the tub was completely gone. <laughs> like, it was gone. Like my husband had like completely taken care of it. Um, and so my husband was like, he did not want to be in the water because he thought it was gross. Right. He was like, that's gross because, you know, there's going to be whatever in there. But after I had him, the water was still clear. And even my midwife was like, you had like almost no bleeding through this whole thing. And I didn't tear. There was no tears. I had uh, like two spots that she said were like skid marks. So like it stretched almost to the point of tearing, but didn't tear. But I had no, like, I had no issues going to the bathroom. I had no issues. Like, that night was a full moon. He was born on a Saturday morning, and it, that night was a, a full moon. And so that night, we actually walked out to the front of our apartment building and down a little ways so we could stand 
in the full the full moonlight whatever but and and I in hindsight I'm like that was too much for me because by the time I got back into the apartment I was shaking from the ex- like from using up so much energy like that but it was an amazing experience because I was able to get up and walk I was able to go sit at my table and eat I was able to lay in my bed or in my couch and just be with my family and just enjoy him where with my daughter, I had to ask for help with everything, everything. And this time it was like, I could just lay around and relax because I was at home. I didn't have anybody poking me and have anybody telling me I couldn't eat. I ate whatever I wanted. I had juice. I had water. Um, I had everything I needed right there. And it was comfortable. It was purposeful. And it was my space. It was our space. And my daughter was involved. And that was a huge thing to me as well. And it was love at first sight for her as well as it was for us. Like she was super excited and just like, oh my gosh, he's so cute. He's so tiny, you know. And How special was- for her to get to be part of that and such an important role for you throughout yes. labor too. That's super yes. cool. Yes. Yes. I was so blessed to have her. Like I was like, I'm so glad I had her because I really hadn't worked out that, you know, they tell you to have a place to focus. And there was a lotus flower up on the wall, but it wasn't in a place where I could like if I would have been able to lean back into my husband, like you see in the amazing pictures of women doing that. But I wasn't I, I couldn't see that. So all I could see was like right in front of my face. And so with her being there, it was so amazing and such a blessing to have that. And, and she's a caring heart. So like she was caressing my face and, you know, you're, you're doing good mommy, you know, just speaking into me and it was amazing. Um, And she never, what was interesting is she never got scared. I said, I got loud. She never got scared. Even when I was loud and roaring, she was not, she never got scared. She never was like, what's going on? Why is my mommy like this? Like she understood exactly what was going on and she never got uncomfortable with it. And And what a cool context for her to be able to grow up seeing birth in that way and not being afraid of it. Yep. And she has now witnessed three births. No, she's, well, she's witnessed three births um, now because of her other two siblings. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.